0: Welcome to Playmakers Impact Unleashed, your all access pass to the game changers of today and the history makers of tomorrow. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, sports industry veteran, author and speaker, founder of Purpose Labs, and your guide through an inspiring journey of courage, comeback and transformation. Let's take a no BS look beyond the trophy cabinet to unleash every guest's impact and how they've achieved both success and significance so we can apply those same purpose-driven principles in our own lives and careers. As playmakers, let's get ready to lock arms and take action so we can all level up and make a play together. On today's show, we're welcoming in Sam Cauchy, proud founder of One Huddle, where they are on a mission to power the people that power teams. Sam is just an amazing leader, a culture champion, and I'm proud to say, an awesome friend and inspiration in my life. Sam and I are about to go deep into his foundation in the space of high performance from his time training professional athletes to now training some of the top leaders in business and beyond. He teaches us the how-to of upskilling and how to become our best through the consistent practice and discipline of personal growth and development, including ways that we can perform beyond our capability. There are countless gems in our conversation ranging from Choosing the hard road to going the extra inch. Even how do we wake up with a focus on impact and presence so that we can all be where our feet are with purpose as a dominant driver. We're even going to tap into a bit of what Sam calls a crisis as he feels that leadership is in a really bad spot. But Sam doesn't take us to a place of complaining about it. Instead, he suggests ways that we can all lock arms as leaders to be a part of the solution. I can't wait for you to listen in to everything that Sam is bringing to the table. This episode will 100% deliver how to make the next play in your business and your life. Big thanks to Audible.com for being a sponsor of today's show. As Playmakers, we're all about leveling up and lifelong learning. So what could be better than a free audiobook and 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com. With over 200,000 titles to choose from, there is no limit to what you can explore. Perhaps... And these are just a few of my personal favorites. You want to check out The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Consider this chicken soup for the soul of personal growth. Or maybe you dive into Grit by Angela Duckworth, where she unpacks the power of what happens when passion meets perseverance. Again, to download your free audiobook today, go to audible.com playmakerspod.com It's about that time to welcome in Sam, but before we do, a few of his personal highlights. Sam is a proud founder of One Huddle, a workforce training platform using game technology to help organizations better prepare their people for work. Clients include Novartis, Lowe's Hotel, ESPN, Audible, Madison Square Garden, and the U.S. Air Force. Not bad company to be in. He's the author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Not Our Job, How College Has Destroyed a Generation of Workers, and How to Fix It. Sam has been featured on Fox News, Fox Business, CNN, CNBC, The Huffington Post, Yahoo Finance, The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Bloomberg. That is a lot of creds, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Sam Cagliucci to the Playmakers podcast. All right, Sam, welcome to Playmakers. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Paul. Absolutely. And so for everybody listening in, Sam and I, we're going to chop it up in a number of different ways. He and I have, in some ways, similar backgrounds, and I would say there's connection points. But what I can genuinely say is not only Sam himself, but also who's he, who he has surrounded himself with have been playmakers, and I mean that in a literal sense. Most of us, when we hear playmakers, we think of professional athletes or somebody that is in the high-performance space. And while, yes, we are going to tackle Sam's current venture and one huddle, and we will go extremely deep there, Sam, I'd love for you to share with us how you got started. Let's call it the start of your professional journey as you were surrounded by literally the highest of performers and elite athletes Talk to us about that, and also, what did you learn about high performance from that chapter that has applied to your career and life ever since?
1: Sure, you know, uh, I started my sports career pretty much right away. I had committed to the, you know play football at the University of Alabama, pre uh, pre uh, <laughs> the current University of Alabama uh, dynasty that exists. But I, uh, at the same time, had a family situation like a lot of Americans have, which is. You couldn't go away to college and had to contribute right away and was uh, lucky enough uh, to get um, to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, my first 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 career move was uh, as a sales rep for a startup sports performance training company, uh, which is just a fancy way of saying an athlete development group that started up in Miami, Florida, with the focus on prepping professional athletes, everything from NFL Draft, NFL Combine, Major League Baseball, spring training prep, NBA. Um, they would, you know, we would, our, our, our primary function was to get those players up to speed and performing well uh, in the offseason. And I ran sales for that group, so I managed agent relations, I managed player development, uh, and I uh, also worked with a lot of our youth programs because we worked with a lot of Um, high level high school programs in the South Florida area. So, you know, I started my career around not just athletes, but a ton of really great coaches that were focused on how do you take an athlete and make them just a tenth of a second faster? How do you take a, you know, take a a NBA player and get them to jump just a tenth of a second or get them a tenth of an inch higher? Uh, So it was always around high performing folks. And that experience really molded me um, like a lot of people who grew up uh learning a skill or mastering something in a sport, you know, there's an appreciation for being around people every day who their focus is squeezing just a little bit more out of um mm. out of a performance.
0: Got it. No, that's phenomenal. And so in your case, the journey takes many twists and turns from there. And uh in, in some cases you look at a LinkedIn profile and it's pretty damn linear. You know, it's one opportunity leads to the next, leads to the next. You can almost project and predict. And I would frankly put myself in the bucket from an entry level of the sales, sports business ranks, one to the next, to the next, to the next. If I look at your LinkedIn profile, and I know you also personally, so I know the depths of it, there were many pivots. There were many what I'll call hard turns. So talk to us about those hard turns, those pivots, whether they were by choice or by environment. I'd love to learn more about that.
1: Sure. You know, that that experience I just mentioned with the organization I worked with was a tremendous opportunity, but it also put me in a position where I had to perform at a level beyond where I was capable. And I can say that looking back and, um, you know. One of the first things I did early on, because I was the only salesperson, was I started an internship program, and I laugh about it because, <laughs> man, if I saw that first intern today on the street, he'd want to kick my ass. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it was not a, it was not a positive experience, experience. But, you know, I spent those first few years running a sales group in this startup, and I got to a point where I felt like I wasn't being challenged anymore. And it's silly to say, but. Uh, I felt like I was getting up out of bed and coming to work. And I felt like I was in a position where nobody was investing in me anymore. I was the one expected to come up with the ideas. And as awesome of an opportunity as that is, you know, you got to be real with yourself when you get to a point that it's time to be challenged again. And as a competitor, I wanted to be challenged again. So, you know, that, that sort of pivot for me was, I started looking to other organizations. I applied, and I never sold a ticket in sports. And this is your background, but I applied to probably a dozen sports teams to sell tickets. None of them said yes to me. Uh, but one, one, one that did uh, that was outside of sports was Lifetime Fitness, which some might know is the you know uh, one of the uh, most successful luxury fitness club models, you know, on the planet. They had 90 health clubs and. I found online that they were opening up their first location in New Jersey. Now, I lived in Miami. The winters are a lot better down there. And But but I found this opportunity to come and be the head of sales for a lifetime fitness club. This is a $45 million box, 30 minutes outside of New York City. You know, I grew up in South Florida, always wanted to try, like, always loved New York, wanted to try something different, I jumped at the opportunity. And that was my first big move, was getting out of my comfort zone, Um, you know, leaving family, which is important. But also I knew it was important for me to try something different because if I could succeed in a new environment like that, uh, you know, not only was it a challenge, but it was an opportunity to learn. Lifetime was publicly held. They had, you know, 80 plus clubs. They had a proven model. I kind of wanted to go be taught. You know what I mean? It was a weird thing. So I wanted to be like in a system. I wanted to be in a system versus being the one sitting in the office coming up with it. And um, so that that's what I
0: did. I love that. So a lot to unpack and many fascinating details in there. The one I want to double click on first is because I think this can apply to everybody listening in right now. We've been talking about performance. We've been talking about capability. But you said it tapped into, it allowed me to perform beyond my capability. Meaning we all feel like sometimes there's this ceiling, but I think we want to submit to the fact that sometimes it's artificial, sometimes it's in our mind. So if you have this capability ceiling, as you'll call it, what's one practical thing you can share with everybody on how you level up? How do you perform beyond that baseline capability?
1: You know, uh, we have a saying in one huddle now today that's something that I've lived by every step of the way. Uh, It's not something I necessarily you know, created, uh, but we talk about doing the hard shit. There's, in every decision you have as a leader, as a professional, uh, you can choose the easy road. And everybody knows what that is. You know when you're really stretching yourself and when you're not. And I think that if I look back and I reflect on the moments where, at that time, I didn't know that the decision I made was going to have such a ripple effect. The, in those moments, the, the, the constant is that I chose the hard shit. I chose the harder road uh, because it was something that I felt was, um, you know, more interesting, more exciting. Uh, you know, there's a little bit of a chip on your shoulder when you're, you know. I always joke with. Uh, I talk to a lot of startup founders, and I tell them all the time, like you got to be a little crazy to wake up in the morning and think you're going to create a company that doesn't exist. Just, you just got to be crazy. You have a, to be a lot little crazy. bit crazy. Yeah, yeah, a lot yeah, crazy. I mean, there's a lot of businesses, a lot of awesome businesses. You got to be there's something twisted in that process. So, you know, um I think that making the decision to do the hard stuff consistently uh you know, is something that has has put me in a position to to have an opportunity to be successful.
0: Yeah. So besides cleaning up the word shit and turning it into stuff, which I just caught that, so thank you. But regardless, because I love it, I love the fire, I love the passion. But you said there's got to be a little bit of craziness in you to bet on yourself, to start that company. We all know the statistics out there about the percentage of startups that fail. So what made you crazy enough and what's the why underneath it? Why you bet on yourself and became that entrepreneur that led to founding one huddle. Yeah.
1: yeah. And again, I I think that, you know, the concept of how important your why is, is something me and you have wrapped a lot about just individually. And I don't think your why is something that, uh, has is a constant, you know, and I, I say that from this perspective early on, a lot of decisions I made were for a much different why than they are in the moment today. And I think that a lot of those choices you make start to mold the bigger why that we talk about. You know, early on, it's almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Early on, you want to make money. You, know, you get a job because you want to make money. And then you get a job, uh, you move on because of, of opportunity or status and so on. And, you know, for me, the why today uh, that's, that I have now realized as I look back at the moment I'm in. You know, I wake up every day because of uh, of impact. You know, I, I I firmly believe that this is a short show, and that might not be an earth shattering concept, but when I wake up every day and focus on living in living in the present and living in just the 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 situation I'm in right now, and I coach my team consistently on the concept of be where your feet are in the in this zoom there is nothing else that matters and i have problems i have situations i have a kid upstairs yelling i have this i have all types of stuff but right now this is the most important so you know my why has has like you consistently grown to this 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 reality which is uh i want to make impact in the work that we do and um that doesn't mean that that won't continue to shift and grow because I allow it to shift and grow as I learn and I get more inputs from the work that's produced um, but uh, you know we're the 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 uh this concept of living based off of controlling your behaviors and your habits is something that i I believe in I believe the little stuff matters a lot, and as you continue to focus on the little things rooted in your why really like let my why drive the little things I do. If I'm really about social, like at one huddle, one of the things we focus on is impacting every worker. So if I walk into a company and they say to me, you know, we really like your product. We just want to use it with the 10 people that all went to Yale. I have a choice to make because if I'm about my why. I'm not going to allow that to happen. I'm going to challenge it. I'm going to push it. Uh, So, you know, for me, Finding ways to, to implement that in your daily choices and decisions has been something that I've it's hard, it's tough, but it's something that I've I've focused on a lot over the last few years as I feel like my why has matured.
0: That's great. That that's great. And as somebody that coaches the why to many, I, I've always thought that the Because there's many philosophies. Some people think you have a work why and a personal why, which I will totally debunk that myth. I I, I think that you have to be one whole person if you're being authentic and true to yourself and true to others. Now, my why has changed by words. I'm literally on my 5.0, maybe 6.0 from when I, quote unquote, found my 1.0 a handful of years ago. But the spirit and the meaning have remained the same. Again, spirit and meaning, the same. But literally... When I used to think of impact and fulfillment, I now say that means playing offense. Yes, sure, that meets a lot of needs, but you talked about being founded in it. So your why is to create impact. You gave a a very concrete example about how one huddle creates impact. How do you personally define impact and measure impact?
1: Leave people better than they were before they met you. Uh, that's, that's what we, that's what I constantly try to do. And I also measure impact by your ability to challenge other people. Uh, when you're in your own head, you can only see so far, uh, at, you know, at one huddle, we talk about challenging the market, being audacious in our, uh, in, in the way that we communicate. Audacious is not being a, you know, not being, uh, you know, not being a smart ass or a smart Alec. It's, it's, you know, but you can be real with somebody and being to the point. So for me, it means every, every conversation, every decision that you make constantly looking at through that lens, um, you know, the, 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 the you know, so the, the the conversations that we have, you know, every day with whether it's our team members, our family, I would second to go back to second what you're saying, you know, you can't have, it's too tough. I can't imagine having two whys, personal and professional. I, I, you know, I couldn't, you know, I'd go crazy. But um, I think that it, once you have one that's established, and I, I've also learned that, it, you know, it's not just an understanding the why that's a problem for a lot of, a lot of people and a lot of professionals early on. It's not just like finding it. It's once you've found it, just keeping it in every decision that you make, that is a challenge and it's a struggle and it's something, you know, you always wrestle with, but it's keeping it in front of you that's that's real.
0: So let's unpack that. How do you stay disciplined and maybe there's a process or a system, how do you behave and act true to your why? Like walk us through the granular piece of how you stay disciplined to your why.
1: I think it it comes down to game planning. You think about your day. I think about my day first off. What are the things I'm going to allow? um, What are the things that I can control that are controllables? And how does my day look? And if I am dedicated to impact, you kind of got to look back. You You want to, anybody out there, you want to figure out if you're being true to your why? Like, go look at your last four weeks in your Google Calendar and look at week by week and say, what percent of my time in all these meetings and conversations and, you know, the, the hour meeting that should have been 12 minutes, you know, and the 30 minutes that <laughs> should have been four minutes. The meeting to talk about minutes. the meeting. Yep, yep. Yeah. What's your balance? So for me, that's how I look at it. I'm constantly looking backward for insight on how I move forward. And, you know, this is also where I don't think anybody can achieve their why alone. <laughs> you know, my 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 chief of staff who sits next to me, who's, you know, an extension of my role in the company, you know, never my assistant, but my extension of the CEO role is as responsible to my why uh, as I hold myself to in the organization. And every day we're looking at my schedule and we're looking at what we're doing. And we're looking at what we're spending our time on and saying, are those the right things to get back to this for me? So that's, that's kind of like the the one tip, how I measure it. Uh, you know, there's the, there's the business metrics you live by for us as a startup. We got to look at revenue. We got to look at growth. We got to look at those things. Um, and, you know, those, those today are the scoreboard. Uh, but I also measure it by gut. And I don't, you know, I'm okay with that at this stage, being a startup founder, that's, you know, we're at series A, we're a little baby, we're trying to grow really fast. And at the end of the day, I've, um, I've always been surprised at how, um, how accurate your gut is, <laughs> if you listen to it consistently.
0: Well, so w- what do you mean by that? How accurate your gut is, uh,
1: if you 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 know, um, you know what the right choices are. You know what the 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 when you when you release a team member, like let's talk about the tough stuff. When you lead an organization, you got to get the right people into the org. You got to constantly develop the people that are here, and then you got to get the people that are not culturally bought in. You know, it's like uh, you think about it's not it's not the the, um, the people that are not in are easy to notice, and you get you know it, then the people that are all in are also easy to notice. The group that's hard to notice are the ones that are the givens in the middle, the ones that tell you the things you want to hear, that do just enough. So, for me, it's about constantly um of you know from a gut perspective, challenging and talking to the team around me and in conversations you know if you know what your culture is about, and I think that why comes i think culture is an important point in this whole mix. if you know the culture you're trying to create, you know the type of people you want to have around you as you continue your mission. Um, and the people that I think the companies that fail, and the organizations that fail, and the individuals that fail, listen too much to that that third group every day, and they, and they try and they try to fix that group too much. They don't challenge that group enough, and then the give-in group starts to spread into the and chip away at the all-in group, and then things get really hard.
0: I love that you're bringing us here. We're going to definitely dive into culture and in a sec, I'm going to throw it back to you to talk about the cuddle, The excuse me, the culture of one huddle, both at the start and then in the present, but for everybody listening in, and here's a nice way of organizing a culture, because I always get asked the question of how do you transform a culture, which the reality is, especially for mid to large organizations, it could be multiple years. And so everybody wants that overnight fix. It does not exist. So the way that I would propose something in, let's say, the consulting space of culture, I would say, think of your organization in three buckets. And there's three characters, partners, tourists, and prisoners. And so if you're standing in a room, you're addressing the crowd, assume that it is composed of partners, tourists, and prisoners. Partners are front row, leaning in, acknowledgement, body language, their energy, their presence. Sam, in your words, they are where their feet are at all times because they are just authentically dedicated to the cause and the mission. Now, tourists, some go left, some go right. There's a fork in the road. If things go well, they're happy they were there. If things go poorly, they point at you, the tour guide, and it's your fault. The last group, Prisoners, back row, arms are folded. I was voluntold to be here. Five thirty can't get here soon enough. And so, when you think about how do you attack that three-clustered approach into transforming a culture, well, I'll tell you what, Sam. My answer has changed dramatically because I used to think you need to change the prisoners. I used to come into an org and try to change the toxic or the negative and. When, I had two revelations. One, it doesn't work. They don't want to change. And two, it's exhausting for me and I am drained and I now don't have the energy to pour into those that actually do want to be there. So just wanted to provide that framework for folks of thinking as partners, tourists, prisoners. My perspective now is the strategy is shine a light on the bright spots that are your partners that are modeling the behaviors that They fuel the culture you want to build and that's how you can scale. So my question back to one huddle, you've been there from day one. This is your baby, as they say in the entrepreneurial space. At one point it's a single employee organization. Now what's the employee number right now, Sam? Uh, 41. 41. Good. So from one to 41, that's different. That's growth. Those are dynamics of culture that perhaps you didn't anticipate. So walk us through what's your strategy and what's the process on how you manage culture as the organization grows? It's probably a little simpler when it's two, three, four people and you can all sit around a table, but now it's in the 40s. How how do you get through that?
1: You talk a lot. Um, I think that culture starts with having a, uh, a true north. We have a mission. A lot of companies have a mission. Uh, we have core values. A lot of companies have core values. We have we go even farther. We have standards. We have, um, you know, uh, 16 standards at one huddle that you have to live up to. Um, guess what? Everybody on our team knows it. They know every one of them. They can draw them across a the map. So, you know, you have those things, and that's not unique either. People, Organizations have people that, you know, can recite, but, you know, Um, but I think what really makes it come together is the fact that as a leader, um, the the hardest times for me was when we were, you know, 10, 15, 20, like I like to talk to employees every day and I would make it a point to talk to them every day. Well, as you can imagine, you go 20, 25, 30, 35, like those are a lot of two, three minute calls in a day. Um, but what I learned is at some point you have to transition no different than the way we used to coach an athlete to run a 40 at about 10 yards you need to turn over and get top speed and at some point as a leader you have to start to pick and invest in other people around you that can turn around and do the same thing you've invested in them to the people behind them and you instead of you going direct you start to teach people to turn around and do what you do. And your coaching changes because no longer are you coming in and, and you know, um, I think the problem with any great, you know, any any leader or CEO, and I don't even want to use the word great, but you are you understand to a degree human psychology. You know how to leverage or influence or persuade. Some manipulate someone to a cause. Uh, but at a certain point you learn that, that message should be more about giving them the why behind what you're doing every day. Like the, this is how it links back to the mission. You may tell you why this phone call that you just had with this customer that, you know, what, what, what went right when we're wrong. I'm going to tell you why, because if you look at the mission, you look at the core values we live by, this is what's supposed to happen. Now you start to teach them how to pass on in dig and pass down to the other parts of the organization. So, you know, for me, that's, that's what, you know, I think that culture, it comes back to talking. It's just talking. And I think that's also why a lot of organizations are in trouble right now because COVID has exposed poor communication skills in organizations. This is not easy to talk through Zoom. It's different. It's in. That has created this new reality for a lot of organizations. It's it's, it's exposed a lot that aren't good at talking. And I've used the example with our team that the COVID world is like a long-distance relationship. And me and you both are going to relate to this exactly. Guess what you do in a long-distance relationship? I know that my wife, when she was going to law school in D.C. and I was living in New Jersey, if I was going to go out late at night, um, did I have to call her and tell her I was doing that? No, she's supposed to trust me. I don't have to do that. But I did. Like, why did I do that? Out of respect. um, Out of appreciation. Because I believe in this, you know, union and this relationship. And I think that what Zoom has done and COVID has done in this moment is that it's challenged us. Because a lot of our employee relationships and our customer relationships we got to work a little harder. Yeah. And, uh, well said. And, you know, if I tell my team all the time, like, is it, is it fair that you have to let your team know that you're going to be, you know, out on the boat this weekend and you're seeing your Instagram? Like, is that fair? You have a personal life? I get it. Like, that's cool. Like, I'm not. But what I'm saying is you're a dummy if you don't think that you should bring that up to your people on your team because they're sitting someplace that they can't get on a boat. That is selfish. And so that is what I spend a lot of time on in this moment with culture. You have to be willing to call your people out um, and educate them as to why this maps back to bigger purpose.
0: I love that so much, Sam, and and you mentioned it and you alluded to the fact that I would resonate with it. So for everybody listening in where Sam was alluding to that we connect with is my wife also went to law school. Sam knows this about me, but we did three years of long distance. I literally met her when she had just started, obviously law school being a three-year program. We did three full years of long distance, two to three time zones apart. And how did we get through it? We saw each other without fail, did not skip one single month Every 30 days, guaranteed three-day weekend, whatever it took, we would just make it happen. And I would argue that if three years is 36 engagements together, we probably got more quality time out of those 36 weekends than I, I can imagine maybe we've spent a traditional few years together. So it talks about presence It talks about connection, and I think your perspective of the COVID metaphor is very fitting for that. So let's go into that. 2020, super challenging year. Your organization has a mission, and I'd love to hear more about One Huddle's mission and how you serve the workforce. I normally would say the workforce of today, but in essence, now we should talk about the workforce of today and also the workforce of tomorrow, how you see it evolving. So talk to us about what one mission does, why you serve, and also uh, essentially beyond the mission, what is the workforce that you imagine? Because I know from what I know about you, it's not perfect today, but you and I are fighting in a good way to make the workforce better. So talk to us about One Huddle and the mission going forward.
1: Sure. Uh, you know, our mission is powering the people that power teams. And, um, Really early on, you know, anybody that goes through the process of trying to create a mission, you know, um, I'm a big believer in just like you, you put something out there and then you start to iterate on it. And, you, and it's actually a lot of the way, I, you know, our engineering team per, builds our product. We build it and we iterate. We build it and we iterate. We don't wait for perfection. We go and we grow. And our mission uh, has it's funny. It's one of those things that hasn't really shifted at all. Um, it's actually gotten a little tighter but there's no new words in our mission. It's powering the people that power teams. And the reason, you know, uh, I love it so much is because it's a focus on the person, the human. And in the world, you know, when you think about workforce, we use all types of stupid terms as leaders. We use we call people employees, we call them workers. We call, you know, in the HR world, they call people learners, which, I mean, really pisses me off, doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you know, for us, like, We power people, like you show up to work every day, not because you want to work. Work was created. Labor is what women do to have a child. Like labor in the workforce was manufactured. Uh, It did not exist. You know, in the last hundred years, labor has become what it has become. And when I started the company, I said, you know, our focus is on building better people and not empowering people because I wanted to go a little further. I said empowering is tough because you can empower somebody and they don't do it. But if I empower, you know, if I empower a a team member, like I see this. If I empower somebody and they don't do it, am I successful? Like, can I say, hey, I did everything I could do and they didn't take it any further? Like, I think that's a little that's BS. Like to me, I want I want to be responsible for the success of the people like in 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 my you know direct uh, reach or network. So we said, I wanna power people, power the people that power teams. I didn't want the word company in our mission. I didn't want organizations powering the brands, like F the brands. People drive the workforce. They build the companies up to whatever they are today and whatever they'll be tomorrow. You know, So the mission to me was always about the decisions we make is does it lift up the person? They could be the security guard, they could be the person pouring the beer at the stadium. They could be the person selling the suite. They could be the person in the corner office. Um, so that was what the mission was, powering the people to power teams. The uh, Where I see the workforce going, to your second question, our biggest problem today is the workforce is an unfair game. Some start on the 50. Some start on their own five. Uh, at One Huddle, we've always strived to break down the barriers to access. One Huddle is a we're a, a mobile game platform. We basically take everything an employee needs to know and put it into a mobile game. It's not common for everybody across an organization to get access to the j- same job skill training. You know, in the sports world, it's not fair that because I went to you know a sports management program and got a four-year education, I get access to every sales trainer in the world. But the frontline worker that's working the gate gets access to zero. That's an inequality in our workforce. Uh, And it exists in every industry. You know, it's the security guard at the hotel or the, uh, you know, the front of house person in the restaurant on the property. But the catering manager gets access to a little bit more Because they have a credential that says, I have a college degree or whatever bogus piece of paper is created. So, you know, our mission, you know, where the workforce is going, um, I believe we're going through a a moment where, you know, uh, companies are being challenged a bit to think about equality and diversity a little bit with a little bit more real outcomes. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot of work to be done. I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be. Uh, but I think that we're, 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 what I'm striving for is to create a world where everybody can compete. Everybody starts on the same line in the workforce. And guess what? If the security guard knows more about selling tickets than the salesperson does, why don't you make that person your salesperson, right? That's a good business decision. This isn't about equality in you know, a know and sense. It's about just Put the best people in a position to be successful and give them the opportunity. And I think as a technology company, we're in the business of breaking things. Like a real technologist looks at something and says, why is it that you can only stay at a hotel? Why can't I rent out my house? You know, why is it that you can only take a taxi? Uh, My car, I can do it. And for us, it's like, why is it that, you know, you got 166 million U.S. workers but only a very small sliver of them can access job training on an e-learning platform
0: because only a very small sliver has a desktop at home. Doesn't make sense. As we take a quick break from today's interview, a reminder of gratitude for our sponsor Audible, who is offering each and every playmaker a free audiobook and 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod Com. If there's one thing I've seen in most successful people that I've come across, there are a few consistent habits, none greater than the daily practice of leveling up through the power of reading. Some of us like to crack a book open, while others prefer to listen in to our favorite authors narrate their written work of art. What could be better than a platform like Audible to make this habit a reality? To download your free audiobook today, go to audible.playmakerspod.com. It's time to level up. So, let me ask you this. You bring up, there's so many directions we can go, but in, in the year that we're in and we're coming off here with all of what all put in the social injustice bucket, and you talk about, yes, there's the DNI, the diversity and inclusion efforts that are going on out there. I'll, I'll be very candid. Uh, there's two ways that organizations approach it. And I'll start off by the first and what my heart says is I want them to really want to be a part of the solution. I want them to believe in a world where truly everybody has a seat at the table, where everybody has the gift of feeling like they matter because they do, because that's just the spirit of people at their core. Now, I wish that everybody would attack in a good way, attack all of these problems and challenges with that spirit. But you and I both know there's a lot of check the box going on out there a lot, like what's going to look good to the public. And so let's do these certain things. And I know you face personally and with one huddle, a lot of these same challenges because you're in the training space, you're in the learning and development space. There are some people that might, uh, partner with one huddle to check the box because it's what looks good to employees versus there's others that authentic lean in and say, no, from my security guard to our C-suite, we want everybody to have that equal opportunity and seat at the table via this resource, which in your case is a game that trains and helps us level up. So how do you combat that problem? How do you make sure that it's coming from an authentic place and that there's actual sustainable impact versus just a bunch of check the boxes?
1: Yeah, the, uh, the slogan for One Huddle, sort of like our just do it, is uh, bring it in. And um, our our big belief is that we got to in order to bring about change, you have to make the tent bigger. Like the goal shouldn't be to just squeeze more people into the tent you have. You got to you have to you have to find a way to reach other audiences. So for us, guess what? That means we connect with companies across a variety of sectors. That means that we talk to education because I'm sitting here trying to tackle workforce. It would be unfair of me to just pick on colleges all day and not find a way to work alongside them. So guess what? I teach in a master's program. I, you know, I'm, I, so I do that. Uh, We connect with two-year universities and work with high schools and K through 12 organizations. Third, we reach out to politicians. Like we work with the political apparatus in New Jersey. We donated our platform to the uh, former governor's initiative, which is called the New Jersey Reentry Corporation, which gifts job training to recently uh, returning citizens that were incarcerated, because guess what? You can't be about powering, my mission is not powering some of the people, like it's about everybody. So guess what? Whether you were incarcerated, you're homeless, you're a victim or a survivor of, of trafficking, you are a, um, someone that's coming out of a, a, you know, the other side of a criminal justice program, you are coming from a vulnerable community, uh, you're, you identify as LGBTQ, every worker one huddle. And you know, so for me, edu- you know, that, that pull poli- the political apparatus, I can't sit here and, you know, for example, do you know that most labor rules, uh, Paul, in the state of, of California uh, say that if you use your mobile phone off the clock, you're not legally allowed to for work unless the company pays you. You as a individual can't even do it. The state law says you are breaking the law. It's ridiculous that we have legal rules that are outdated. So I personally say, like, let's let's work to update them in uh, the fourth group. So the fourth group is individuals, because at the end of the day, it's not fair just to blame corporations, education, the public sector. But as individuals, we're responsible. So we work to try to reach out directly to workers and say, how can one be of assistance to you? So that, that's the way I look at it is. Our, you know, we control, we can control, we can make the tent bigger. Um, and honestly, I really don't care if we piss a few people off along the way, um, you know, whether you're right or you're left, or whether you are pro-education or not, or whether you're, you know, a company that um, sits in, you know, sits in a, in, in a large enterprise or an SMB. You know, for us, we only care about the worker, um, giving everybody an opportunity, and that keeps us centered in how we
0: operate. I love it. I love it. So phenomenal mission and now for everybody listening and you gain an understanding of not only what one huddle does there's a lot of what in the world but you understand the why that it is fueled from and what I love is you're you're doubling down on not only the why you're doubling down on the who. So the whole world the majority especially of the working world is so what do you do focus? And how do you do it tactically? Where they miss the mark is if you focus on the why of why people serve, because they can authentically show up through their who, meaning their values and serve through the lens of how their values drive decisions and actions and behaviors. And eventually the outcome there is impact, which is exactly your why. And so I I think this is fantastic. So you've gone through this crazy, crazy roller coaster of uh, just like any other entrepreneurial organization, you're going to have highs, you're going to have lows, and there's going to be a lot of fun days and fun nights that are included in there. So I'm going to throw this out there and see, maybe this is the, uh, what I would call the most exhilarating or fun that you've had, or maybe there's something else that you'd be wanting to share with us. So uh, I, I know, especially if I go to your LinkedIn profile, one of the first things I see You're there on CNBC, Squawk Box, Mr. Wonderful, Mr. Shark Tank himself. And you're having a powwow with him in more of a panel setting. And he essentially endorsed One Huddle, which I thought was just so cool because, A, I know you personally. And then to see you and Mr. Wonderful side by side, I'm like, I know for me, that lit me up. So I'd love to know for you, what's the moment as your journey is far, far from over, but what's the moment in your journey that has lit you up? the most where you felt the most alive
1: yeah it's a great question and I, I would probably wouldn't pick you know the media stuff is awesome it's uh early on it was about um us getting the message out and then as a leader you know i started to realize that um i'm going to step up to the challenge to be the mascot um, i look at our company a lot like a political campaign the 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 product is the but the product is the candidate. I'm one of the communications people, and then we have our whole team trying to make sure our product you know wins. That's what we talk about a lot, you know. So from from a moment you know we um, I'd probably say one of the one of the best moments was really early on in COVID. As interesting as it sounds, we got to close our Series A financing. So for the, those out there that know that the kind of tech apparatus the toughest part about being a leader of a tech company is the reality that every time you raise money i say all i do is look at ice melt because <laughs> the money just goes and then what you do you raise again and then the ice melts again and obviously you should be growing and you are otherwise you'd be raising but you continue to continue to grow over that but you're constantly looking at this downward trajectory hoping that you know you've done enough to get to the next tier When COVID happened, uh, our team is very close. We put everybody uh, on a Zoom call the day after here. I'm in the New York area, so we were hit really hard. Um, And, you know, early March, we made the decision to shut the office down. And we put everybody on a Zoom call that was supposed to be, you know, five, ten minutes in the morning. And it turned into, you know, all morning. And we didn't talk about anything. We just talked. We talked about the world and what we're seeing and How crazy this is. And, you know, um, out this window, I can see the Lincoln Tunnel. Uh, I live in near uh, in Hudson County. So I'm really close to the main kind of helix to go into New York. And it's always packed. And on that day, it was nothing. And it was eerie. It was weird. So that moment where our team just wanted to stay on that call together because we saw Uh, comfort and we saw a connection with each other in that moment to me you know when i think about developing people um i'm in the business of helping people to go on and do bigger and better things one huddle is a pit stop i tell employees we're not the end you're going to go on and do other things no matter what even if we have the we we blow it out of the water like at some point you're going to go you're going to exit and go on to something new and hopefully you do um so for me, that moment where everybody was trusting in each other and listening to each other and just hanging out, and it was almost like that uh, that phone call with a, a significant other when you were younger. And you just like, you weren't saying anything at two in the morning, but you just were on the phone together. It was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of like that. And that was cool to me. <laughs> that was That was cool to me. So I think those moments where you realize that work is a lot more than just work, which it is, by the way. It is, you know, people find purpose in what we do every day. And um, that's why, you know, the work you do, I'm so, um, you know, impressed by and excited about because uh, finding ways to turn coaches and leaders um, and managers and um, influencers, finding ways to get them to the next step and need to be influential in any way or shape or form. Like we have a shortage of leadership today, but we need it more than ever.
0: No doubt. Well said, brother. And our closing piece here, and you just described it very eloquently. You said that you talked to your team about this being a pit stop, this being one huddle, and you understand that it is uh, life is a journey. And to your point, it it is short-lived. And we're going to look back and that's where this concept of legacy comes in about how you want to be remembered. So if that's The reflection at the end of the journey. Uh, Let's go to present day, but let's utilize today as a blank canvas. And so here's what I'll propose to you all of your responsibilities are taken care of. Everything that you are responsible for is in a healthy space. You truly have carte blanche here, this outlook toward the future of your life. If you're in that scenario, what would you want to invest the rest of your life working toward?
1: Exactly what I'm doing. Exact, exactly what I'm doing. I think that the um, having everything taken care of to a degree makes it a little easier for me to, you know, maybe I don't have to respond to every VC or investor that calls me nagging about my board and financials. Wow, is, they, don't which, nag, by the way, they don't nag. They don't nag. You know, which would be nice. Uh, and uh, you know you can include that part in, in in this recording uh but you know I would say that for me i would con- i would it's more like it's more of what i 'm doing right now, and I mean that because you know um i've i 'm lucky enough to have gone into this business in the early days, just thinking about we 're solving this problem, and every company starts because i I always think that company start because you get pissed off at something and you say, I'm going to do this to fix it. and You do it. But I, I've been like, like I fall in love with the people in the track that I'm going down. And what that means is um, whether it's with one huddle or whether it's with something else, like advocating and fighting for, um, for people that wake up every day and go someplace uh, to, you know, have take part in an activity that at the end of the day gives them purpose or feeds their family or contributes to the community. Like that to me is super awesome. Um, so, um, I would, you know, the answer to your question would be like, I would stay the course.
0: Stay the course and do more. And so for everybody listening in, uh, as we send a thanks to Sam, what you just heard is somebody that is already living their mission. What they've graduated from the world of job into the world of career into the world of calling. Sam has been called to do this and to build this, and he's just getting started. So thank you so much, Sam, for joining Playmakers. And I I know from the bottom of my heart that our journey together is going to continue. And so look forward to the plays that you have in your future and just know that you leveled up every single person tuning in. Thanks for having me, Paul. Absolutely. What an awesome conversation with Sam. And now it's time for all of us as playmakers to make a play together. Zooming in on the closing question that I asked Sam, this was a foundational question in me personally starting to understand not only my purpose, but to begin to think about the impact that I wanted to create. So now I'd like to ask you the same question. And we're going to have some fun and engage with this one, so I'd love to connect on a personal level. After you think about the response to the question that I'm going to pose to you, process it, write it down, and then my ask, confidentially of course, is if you can share it with me via DM, on social, or email, and just let me know your response to the following question. Here it is. If all of your responsibilities were taken care of, financially you're set, family is in good order, and you have a blank canvas in life ahead of you, what would you like to spend the rest of your time working toward? I'll repeat the question. If all of your responsibilities were taken care of, financially you're set, family is in good order, And you have a blank canvas in life ahead of you. What would you like to spend the rest of your time working toward? Once you have your response and it's written down, I'd love to hear from you. So shoot me a DM on your social media platform of choice or email me at paul at paulepsteinspeaks.com. Again, email is paul at paulepsteinspeaks.com. Once you ping me, I will ping you right back with my response to this same question so that we can further connect and level up together. Until the next time, my friend, attack each day with purpose and a spirit of playing offense. Be well. Loved what you just heard? Share it with another Playmaker. And for all of today's show notes, head over to playmakerspod.com where you can not only enjoy additional resources from today's show, but all previous episodes as well. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you get your favorite podcasts. If you gained significant value from today's episode and genuinely feel that you have leveled up, give us a five-star rating. And between now and the next Playmakers episode, Let's stay connected. Hit me up on LinkedIn, at Paul Epstein, or Instagram, at Paul Epstein Speaks. Playmakers is produced by Motown Podcast Studios in collaboration with Purpose Labs. Wishing you a high-impact week of action and purpose. See you next time on Playmakers.